John chapter 7, verse 1 through to verse 24. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For, for you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what, I, what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering among, about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who works for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you, were all, you are all astonished. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. But let's um, pray first and ask for God to give us uh, an ability to understand and to focus this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we come to consider it now that you would give us fresh insights into uh, uh, who Jesus is and how we can be helping others to learn more about him. We pray that you would be reminding us of the uh, truths that we already do know about Jesus and reinforcing those truths for us. Most of all, we want to pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to focus our lives that uh, Jesus would be at the very centre of who we are as human beings and how we live and what our hope is for the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you, what do you think most Australians think about Jesus? It's a little bit of a hard thing to know, in my opinion, because I don't think that Australians are particularly um, outgoing in terms of actually talking about spiritual things. 
Jesus is not a common topic that you'll hear spoken about around the coffee machine at work or on the golf course uh, with friends. Uh, we tend to keep our views about Jesus a, a little bit quiet. I'm talking about uh, Australians in general. Uh, if you want to know what Australians think about Jesus, really, you need to ask them. And that is what some Christian researchers did last year. They uh, surveyed two and a half thousand um, Aussies, a cross-section from the Australian community, to find out uh, what things people thought about Jesus. Um, here's some of what they found. 11%, an amazing 11% of people, said that they didn't actually believe that Jesus really existed, that he was something that the church has made up. Uh, a myth, if you like. 11% of Australians claim they think that about Jesus. 42% said that they believed that Jesus had divine powers. 45%, uh, that, that is of people who believed in Jesus, believed he existed, 45% said that they believed that he rose from the dead. Which is interesting, isn't it, when you think about it, because 45% said that he rose from the dead, but only 42% said, said they thought he had divine powers. You wonder about the other 3%. But what it tells us is that just under half of the people who believed that Jesus existed said that they believed in the resurrection, uh, whereas just over half said that they did not believe that he rose from the dead. So that's 45 to 55. It sounds like another kind of poll that's being taken these days, isn't it? 45 to 55%. Uh, the researchers said that they were surprised by a few things. They were surprised that so many people say that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but that doesn't seem to translate into an active commitment to Jesus. Uh, certainly, to the extent that an active commitment to Jesus is reflected by church involvement because far fewer Australians, about 15 to 18% of Australians, are in some way connected with a church on a regular basis. But it tells us that Aussies do have thoughts about Jesus, but that Jesus is not a particularly hot topic. And even if they do believe in his miracles and his resurrection, they don't seem to care enough about that for that to you know, be taken very seriously. Uh, that, by the way, is very different, as you'd expect, from the attitudes of people when Jesus himself walked the dusty roads of Palestine a couple of thousand years ago. Because uh, during Jesus' time, particularly during his ministry, the question on everybody's lips was, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Now, I want to look at that question over this week and next Sunday as well. Um, but if you turn open to John chapter 7, here we see that there is a, it's kind of like, it presents us with a sort of a snapshot of public opinion of Jesus uh, during that time. And we're told in verse 2 that the specific time of year that this chapter tells us about was what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Have you heard of the Feast of Tabernacles before? Uh, it's a, uh, let me say a little bit about it. The Feast of Tabernacles was the time of the year when the Jews uh, thanked God for the harvest. Uh, it was uh, also a time of the year when they lived in tents. Uh, the, the word tabernacle uh, is an old English word that simply means tents. Although someone pointed out the other day, I think it was Roy at Bible study, that the Aussie word humpy might have been more appropriate because they lived in uh, these shelters that were made of you know, branches from trees and leaves and, and that sort of thing. Um, the reason they did that was that because that was the way that the Israelites lived uh, when God rescued them from Egypt and they were wandering around in the desert. And so the Feast of Tabernacles reminded of two things. It reminded people that God is the provider, he's the, the Lord of the harvest, and it reminded them that God is a rescuer, that he saved them out of Egypt. Uh, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 23, and I've put the reference for that on your service sheets. But at the time of Jesus, during the Feast of Tabernacles, Every Jewish man was expected to go up to Jerusalem in order to worship God at the temple. And so at this time of year, Jerusalem would have been chock-a-block full of people. And so it was a great time to check out the pulse, to, uh, to find out what people thought about Jesus. In fact, if you take a look at verse 12... We're told in verse 12 that among the crowds there was widespread whispering about Jesus. Why were they whispering and not speaking openly about him? I'll say a bit more about that next week. But, but Jesus was on people's lips. He was the buzz. That was the hot topic. Okay, so what then did people think about Jesus? Well, in verses 1 through to 9, we learn what Jesus' very own brothers thought about him. Can I read verses 1 to 9 for you? I just want to refresh our memories on this. Everyone follow this in your Bibles. Verses 1 to 9. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. But when the feast, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near... Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. And so having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Now, so here we have a conversation between Jesus and his brothers. Now, when you think about it, that's interesting. Who were Jesus' brothers? 
in other parts of the scriptures, for example in matthew chapter thirteen, we are told that jesus had physical brothers and they're named um, their names were james joseph simon and judas not iscariot of course uh, we're also told that jesus had sisters um, of course, these were half-brothers and half-sisters because Jesus himself was conceived not by Joseph, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit because he's the Son of God. But what it does tell us is that after Jesus was born and Joseph and Mary were married, that they established a family for themselves, that they did come together in marital union and they had children together it's an important point because the roman catholic church doesn't teach that uh, the roman catholic church teaches that mary was a virgin for the entirety of her life and so uh, but but that of course is teaching that comes from the church but it doesn't come from the bible so i just thought i'd point that out to you that uh, it's incorrect to say that mary was always a virgin uh, mary had a family and here Jesus is having a conversation with his brothers so what did they think about him what did his own brothers think about Jesus well we, we see there that they wanted Jesus to go to Jerusalem for the feast question is why did they want him to go there was it simply because that's you know the thing that Jewish men did no the reason in verse 3 is because they wanted Jesus to become a public figure. Do you see that? See, no one who wants to become a public figure does these kind of things in secret. They're saying, look, it's, you know, it's all very well for you to be doing these miracles you know, up here in Galilee, in the backwaters of Galilee, but if you really want to become well-known, if you really want to have an impact, if you want to become a public figure, you've got to go where the action is. You've got to go to Jerusalem. That's where the crowds are. Where, that's where the people are. That's, you see, they wanted Jesus to become that kind of a person, a worldly human leader. That's who they thought Jesus was. But Jesus, and it's an interesting comment that John makes as to why they wanted him to do that. In verse 5, see what it says in verse 5? In verse 5, it's because they did not believe in him. You notice that? His own brothers didn't believe in him. They believe, they're like these Aussies who believe that Jesus can do miracles, but what they believe about Jesus is wrong. They don't believe in who he really is and why he actually came. So his own brothers here are acting out of, out of a lack of faith, a lack of genuine belief, in who Jesus is. So that's his brothers. Now, secondly, in verses 10 through to 15, we learn about the crowds, the general people. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, verses 10 to 12. In verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now, at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. 
but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Um, people wanted to keep quiet about Jesus. I may say something about that next week. The uh, point I want to raise here is what did the people think about him? Now, as we saw earlier, Jesus did not want to go to Judea. That's where Jerusalem's located. Uh, because his time had not yet come. He knew that in going to Jerusalem that he could provoke the leaders and there wasn't time for him to die. Uh, he had more ministry to do and besides, he would choose the time of his death. He chose Passover, which was incredibly appropriate. Right? This wasn't the time. So he didn't really want to go there. He didn't want to become a public figure. But in verse 10, he did go to Jerusalem secretly, uh, quietly. Um, there was no fanfare. It wasn't like his triumph, triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of the donkey. No, he just kind of went by himself and melted into the crowd. And he may, by doing that, have even heard people talking about him because he was the subject on everybody's lips. Have you ever been in a situation whereby uh, you've heard someone talking about you but they didn't know that you were listening? Come on, admit to it. <laughs> it's an interesting situation. When that, it happened to Cassie and I once. It was... We just moved to Inverell and we went out to a restaurant one night and this restaurant had kind of like rows of tables but the tables were kind of set alongside each other but between each table there was a frosted glass partition. So you can't see the people on the other side but you can hear them. And we sit down to our meal and uh, there's two ladies on the other side, and one of them says, so, what do you think about this new Presbyterian minister who's moved to town? <laughs> and I was kind of, I'm not going to tell you what they said. <laughs> I'm not sure if I, to what extent I, that, you know, the temp, you know, what did people think about Jesus? You know, they're all mingling in the crowd, they're whispering about him, uh, and Jesus himself was there in secret. Well, we know what they said about him. In verse 12, there were some people who were saying, he is a good man. Now, is that right? Is Jesus a good man? Absolutely. Come on, absolutely. Of course he's a good man. Uh, there'd be a lot of Australians who would say that Jesus was a good man, but they get it wrong about Jesus, don't they? Uh, they would say that, well, Jesus was a really good moral philosopher or uh, Jesus was a, a radical man of courage who confronted the establishment or Jesus was a gentle, loving leader who even cared for little children. He was a good man. And, friends, if Jesus was only a good man, then they've not understood Jesus for he's far more than just a good man. Uh, in verse 12, there were other people who would say, no, he's not actually a good man. 
He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a fraud. He's trying to actually manipulate people and brainwash them. That's who he is. Now, at one level, those people who said he was a deceiver may have even had a clearer understanding of what Jesus taught about himself than those who said he was just a good man. Because what did Jesus teach about himself? Well, remember a couple of chapters back in chapter 5, there was that incident at a, at a pool. There's this, this bloke had been paralysed for 38 years and Jesus healed him. Remember that? We looked at it some time ago. Jesus healed this guy, but he got into trouble with the Jewish religious leaders, didn't he? Why did, why did he get into trouble with them? Because he healed the man on the Sabbath. Uh, let's actually have a brief look at that. If you just flick back one page to chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 18, because this is what happened after Jesus had healed this man in verse 16. It says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath... The Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. See, they realised that that Jesus was saying something very important about himself. He was saying that he is equal to God. Now, if you met someone who told you that they were equal to God, what would you make of that? What would you think about it? What would you think about them? I, there may be other options, but I, I can think of three. It may be that that person is a very dangerous person, that they are some kind of religious fanatic that is likely to turn into a cult leader uh, because they want to control people, they want people to follow them. And there are people in our world who will say that they are divine and they gather people around them, mislead them. That's one option. Um, another option is you might have some questions about the mental stability of this person. Uh, when I was a student, I worked as a cleaner in a psychiatric ward at a hospital and I met some people like this, you know, who believed that they were divine. That's another option. The only third option I can think of is that what the person's saying is true. Uh, it's the old um, question about Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Now, they'd come to the conclusion that he was a liar, that he was a deceiver. That's what they thought. Um, and then finally, there were the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, when we read the term the Jews in this passage, it refers to the religious leaders because Jesus is basically ministering all the people there uh, would have been Jews, except for maybe some Gentiles who'd become Jews. They're all Jews. When it talks about the Jews, it means the Jewish religious leaders. What did they think about Jesus? Well, let's have a look at verses 14 and 15, uh, chapter 7. 
Verse 14, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Now, remember, the temple courts would have been buzzing with activity. Uh, the, the temple itself, the building, the temple, you might recall, is a pretty, fairly small building. Uh, not a lot happened within it in terms of loads of people. It's only about the same size as this building, exactly the size as this building, actually. Uh, most of the activity took place outside in the temple courts. That's where the, the altars were. That's where the, the animal sacrifices were being made. That's where the people would have been and... And that's where Jesus went. And he only would have had to have gone there and just started preaching and a crowd would have gathered around him. That's what happened. And the religious authorities were stunned. They were astonished at the quality of his teaching. His understanding of the scriptures, brilliant. His ability to, uh, to take the scriptures and to connect the scriptures to the lives of people was unparalleled, second to none. But he never went to PTC, never went to Moore College, never studied a theological degree. And so they're stumped, you know, where did this, how did he get this knowledge? Who is this man? I mean, he's just a carpenter from up in Nazareth. Well, that's the question that they asked. And Jesus could have answered them in a number of ways. He could have said, well, you know, it's because I'm brilliant, self-taught. If he'd said that, they would have considered that to be incredibly arrogant in fact, in those days, when a rabbi taught, they would generally quote other rabbis. Uh, they want to teach a particular truth. They would say, well, rabbi such and such, this is what he has to say about that. They didn't speak from themselves. So if Jesus had said, look, I'm just self-taught, you know, I'm pretty good, that would have been arrogant. But the answer that Jesus gave was considered even far more arrogant than that. Have a look at what he said in verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. I mean, wow. To the religious leaders, that was arrogance beyond belief. Because this man is equating himself as being a messenger directly from God. This man wants to bring honour to himself. And that's why in, G in verses 16 through to 23, Jesus challenges them. And he says that they need to make a right judgment on that particular issue. And the issue is, does Jesus want to bring honour to himself? Because if he does then don't believe his teaching. His teaching comes from himself. But if Jesus wants to bring honour to God, 
then you've got to take what he's saying far more seriously. And that's the issue. And at this, on this issue and at this point, Jesus turns the blowtorch onto the religious leaders and exposes them and their goals and their motives. You see, they were trying to kill him. Another view in the crowd was that, you know, he's gone crazy he's, or he's demon-possessed. Because, you know, who's trying to kill him? Well, the Jewish leaders, they were trying to kill him. And why were they trying to kill him? Because he healed the paralysed man at the pool, broke the Sabbath. They said that therefore he dishonoured God by healing this man. Just wanted to bring honour to himself. Well, in verses 22 to 23, Jesus points out that they do exactly the same thing that they're accusing him of doing. Because, think about it, the law of Moses said that when a baby boy was born, then on the eighth day of that baby's birth, that he would be circumcised. Now, what happens if the eighth day happens to be a Sabbath? Because by their standards, you're not supposed to even pick up your mat on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to walk on the Sabbath. Well, what they do is they do the circumcision. They do the surgical procedure on the Sabbath. Isn't that working on the Sabbath? And so there's this poor bloke. 38 years he's been paralysed. 38 years he hasn't been able to walk. For 38 years he hasn't been able to care for himself. He's been reduced to being a poor beggar. For 38 years, until Jesus comes along, heals the man, gives him his life. And they wanted to kill him because he did it on the Sabbath. Well, any hint, any suggestion that Jesus was actually on about his own honour rather than the honour of God has really been dealt with by what Jesus has just said. And so the question then is, where does his teaching come from? From himself or from God? Who is this man? I think that it's um, sometimes really hard for us to, to really appreciate... Um, just how much it is that Aussies don't talk about Jesus very openly. I mean, we know that Australians don't talk about Jesus very openly, but we kind of take that for granted. We think that that's normal, don't we? Uh, until you step outside of Australia and go to other places and find that there is, there is a difference that in other parts of the world that people are far more open about talking about spiritual things on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I, I haven't been to many places, but uh, a few years ago, uh, Cassie and the kids and myself were travelling around and we went into China for about a week or so. Couldn't believe it. I'd actually gone there for a break 
so I didn't talk to people about Jesus. But without exaggeration, uh, it seemed that every second person that we met, some of them complete strangers, wanted to talk about spiritual things. And when they found out that I worked for a church, they wanted to find out about Jesus. Uh, they, they would say to me, please, will you tell us about Jesus? Uh, tell us about God. Teach us so that we can know the way. We were run off our feet talking to people about Jesus. Uh, it was very humbling to see what God was doing in that place. Uh, there are other parts of the world that some of you have travelled to where you know that in the Islamic world there are a lot of differences there, but you can actually talk about spiritual things with people. Uh, even in the US, Cassie and I went to Mississippi in the deep south where to talk about God and to talk about Jesus is as natural as breathing the air. Uh, people that you meet on the streets, people that you who drive taxis, people that you sit next to in aeroplanes want to talk about Jesus. I found myself being evangelised by complete strangers. A friend of mine who was from America came to Australia to uh, do plant churching, uh, church planting. I said, how would you compare it? I said, well, planting a church in Australia is like trying to plough concrete just to actually get people to talk and to think, you know, to talk about spiritual matters. And I think we don't appreciate that because we're so much a part of it. But we can talk to Australians about Jesus. We can help people to get to know Jesus better. So the question is, how do we help our own people? I think we've got to recognise that Aussies are different and there's a whole lot of historical and cultural reasons that may contribute to that. And here, people may not talk about God and Jesus very openly. Uh, you know, top, the topics you're not supposed to talk about at parties are, you know, God and politics, that sort of thing. But I think it's a mistake for us to think that people don't have opinions, because they do. Um, the survey that I mentioned earlier proves that that is the case. I mean, there, there are people who actually believe that Jesus never existed. You know, there are, there are people who would say, no, I think that his bones are buried in Palestine somewhere. There, there's, uh, you know, 45% of people who believe that he existed say that they think he rose from the dead but yet they don't seem to do too much about that in terms of pursuing that further. And so, in one sense, people have rejected Jesus, some actively, some because they just don't care, so it's a very passive rejection of Jesus. But I wonder if it's true to say that the, that the Jesus that people are rejecting or ignoring is actually not the Jesus of the Bible that throughout life they've picked up a few things about Jesus, maybe what they learnt when they were kids and what they've heard on TV documentaries sometimes. They've picked up a few thoughts about Jesus and they've used that to shape their thinking about Jesus and they've rejected it. Whereas it may not be the Jesus of the Bible. And there'll be a lot of people who've actually never read one of the Gospels. 
They've never read what Jesus taught about himself and how he lived and what he did. And so in verse 17, people need to make a decision about Jesus. Where does his teaching come from? Is it from himself or is it something which is out of this world? Something which is divine? Is his teaching from God? And the only way that they can come to that conclusion is if they actually uh, listen to Jesus. A good way of doing that is to read what Jesus himself taught. So I want to encourage us to think about how can we be helping non-Christians to um, be confronted with the teaching of Jesus. And I want to flog this again. I want to say that uh, one of the best things that we can do for people is to give them a copy of the scriptures. Um, perhaps a, even a, just, just a gospel like this one, the Gospel of Luke. And there's a whole variety of ways in which we can do that that are not offensive. For example, when you start thinking about Christmas presents this year and you're buying Christmas presents for people and you're wrapping them up and send off to them, would it be a great drama to slip one of these in amongst the Christmas presents and say, hey, this is just a good book to read? Is that, is that a real drama? Um, sometimes when we, you know, the topic of church might come up in our conversations um, at work and so on. And, you know, you may not be able to get too deeply into it, but you can say to people, hey, there's a good book that might help you on this. Um, would you mind if I gave you a copy? And I, I've found that people are very, very appreciative if we give them something. Don't hassle them, but you know, just give them a copy of a New Testament or a Gospel to read. Because, you know what? They may actually read it. They may not feel comfortable to talk to us too much about Jesus, but in the privacy of their own home, when no one else is around... Uh, there are people who I know who have picked up that Bible or that gospel that someone's given to them or the Gideon's Bible they've stolen from the motel and there's been nothing on television that night and they thought, I'll have a go at this. I opened it up, started reading and just been drawn into it, drawn into these uh, the teaching about Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and have come to the conclusion that this is not just some story that people made up. There is something profound about this. And I know of people for whom doing that has led them to come to a right conclusion about Jesus. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that, uh, for the teaching of Jesus and we thank you, Father God, for the, the way that we've been exposed to it and for people that have helped us to understand more about who Jesus is. Uh, we pray, Father God, that you would even open up opportunities for us to um, share the good news with our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues. Father, uh, your word is living and active it is sharper than any double-edged sword. 
and it has that uh, ability by your spirit to penetrate people's minds and their hearts and draw them into relationship with yourself. And so, Father, that's what we pray that you would be doing and that you would be using us as instruments to get your word to people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.